here one more Sunday to celebrate in the Word of God. It is always an honor and privilege to stand before you and worship and preach the Word to you through the Word of God. So I'm just excited to be back here one more Sunday as we get to eat from the table of the Word. Um, now I will let you know, I was not scheduled to preach today. I, was, I thought I had a Sunday off. But the Lord intervened, so I'm here. I was going to be here, but I didn't think I was going to have to preach. So um, thankful, thankful to God that we are just working through the book of Ephesians. So just in case you don't know this, I know every Sunday what will be preached. So whether I'm up or whether I'm not, I know exactly what's going on. So I'm just excited to get this sermon out to you today. So last week, if you recall, we talked about what it means to be chosen by God. We looked at the beautiful act of our predestination and our election according to the grace and the will of God. And in that, we saw that God is, in fact, fully sovereign. We saw that the result of God's sovereignty was the work that he performed through Jesus Christ, who was completing God's finished work of salvation by which he chose every one of us who has been saved. And so not only did we see that our salvation was the choice of God, but we also saw that he chose us, he elected us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and he glorified us before the foundation of the world. And so what we learned last week is that our salvation was not by happenstance. It was not by mistake. It was not by our own works, but it was because of the works of Jesus Christ and the sovereign plan of God. And so what I want us all to do and be in this church is a group of committed people who want to know the Lord. And the only way that I believe that we know the Lord in his fullness is by studying the very word of God. Because the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, but not just that, but the word was God. There is no more effective way to know who God is other than reading and studying the word of God. And that means that we cannot just sit and wait for some divine special revelation for God to tell us about himself. We must read the word. And so because we do that, I want you to see that not only is God responsible for our condemnation if we reject him and sending us to hell, but we, we should also see that God has been orchestrating our plan of salvation since before time even existed. With that, we must also remember that in him we have redemption. And not only do we have redemption, but for all of us who are believers, we have been redeemed. And that is where we will pick up today as we talk about what it means to be redeemed by God. And that's the title of today's sermon, Redeemed by God. Have you ever been to one of those restaurants? I know I have where they give you a card or a coupon and they tell you that you can get a free hamburger at select locations if you redeem with this card or this coupon. And so not only are you excited about that, but then you realize you have to go find the right location so that you can redeem that free hamburger. And once you finally find 
the right location by which to redeem that free hamburger. You get in there and there is this greasy faced teenager at the register who tells you that in order to get that hamburger, you must buy a drink and some fries. Now, confused and enraged, you look at him and say, that doesn't say that on this coupon. And then he gets the coupon, he flips it on the back, and in the tiniest, finest of all fine prints, you see that the purchase of a drink and a fry was required. See, oftentimes when we are prepared to redeem something back from somebody else, there is always a catch. And when we hear the word redeemed, or when we hear the word redemption, we are always waiting on the final shoe to drop because according to the world, there is always a catch. But the beautiful thing that I want us to see today as us, as those of us who have been redeemed by Christ, there is no catch. There is no final shoe that will be dropped. He has purchased us and he has, in fact, redeemed us. And so what I want you to see today is that redemption through Christ is all the work of the father through his son, Jesus Christ. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. We're still in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7. And it reads, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed With the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, you may notice something interesting if you read this scripture and when you look at verses 7 through 10. What you may notice is that verses 7 through 10 is one sentence. That is one long run on sentence that Paul is writing to this in this letter to the Ephesian church. Now, some scribes took liberties for us to break it up in scriptures, but Paul doesn't intend for this to be broken up. He intends for us to read this as one long continuous sentence. In the first line of this sentence, Paul tells us that in him. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So I think it's very important for us to first identify who he is talking about. The him that he's talking about and the his blood that he's referring to is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, Paul is making it clear that we have been redeemed. Not only that, but the word that Paul uses in the Greek translates into letting one go, 
Letting, letting one go for free for a ransom. Letting one go free for a ransom. And so the comparison that Paul is using and the imagery that he's evoking in this society is that oftentimes you would have these slaves in Roman culture who would be bought and sold as a commodity. As they are being bought and sold as a commodity, they are sold, bought and sold just like food. Just like we would go to the store and buy food or buy clothing. That is the exact same way that they would, they would be sold. Now, in some instances, that person may have a friend or a family member who loved them and who was wealthy enough to pay the price that an individual may have had for them. And in those cases, what that person would do is they would see the prize that that person had for that slave. And to purchase their freedom, they would pay the prize allotted to that slave and then they would set them free. This is the exact thing that Jesus Christ has done for us. And he has done it for us because of the will of the Father. See... One of the things that we have to see is that the only way we can possibly be redeemed is, in fact, if we were lost. See, not only were we lost, but our lostness means that we were also slaves. And that means that our desire to be redeemed only comes when we realize that we are imprisoned. Our desire to be redeemed only comes when we realize that we are lost. It only comes when we realize that we do, in fact, need to be redeemed. And see, we cannot miss it here. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are slaves. Now, the thing that the devil does is that he tries to convince us in our apartness, in our losses, that we are not, in fact, slaves, but we are free. Free to do whatever we want. Free to sin how we want. Free to go the way that we desire. But if anybody in this room would testify, you know that whenever sin calls, you must answer the call. No matter what you may be doing, no matter how inconvenient it may be, when the desire is conceived in your flesh, your desire as a sinner is to satisfy the flesh. And so while you may parade around as if you are free, what God has told us is that as long as we are apart from him, we are slaves to sin. One of the things that must happen in order for us to be redeemed is that we must, in fact, realize that I'm not as free as I thought I was. Is that in my freedom, I've been imprisoned and I've been imprisoned to my flesh and imprisoned to my sin. See, what we often hear people say, especially me when I have conversations with people about salvation, they'll say something like, I don't want to stop having fun. I don't want to stop enjoying myself. I don't want to have to do anything that I don't want to do. But see, what they fail to realize is that everybody's a slave to something. Every single one of us is a slave to something. A slave to some sort of desire, a slave to some sort of habit, a slave to some sort of addiction that we are trying to quietly hide from the rest of the world. 
But what the Lord is showing us is that whether we hide it from the world or not, he can see that we do, in fact, need to be redeemed and saved and free from our imprisonment. Do you remember when the Israelites had finally come out of captivity? They had been in bondage. They had been in slavery for years. All right. To the Egyptians. And when they are finally brought into freedom out of the Egyptian captivity. One of the first things that we see they say. I want to go back. Why did they want to go back? Because sometimes freedom and dependence on God is not as comfortable as our dependence on sin. And so when they are free, freedom doesn't look like what they thought it would look like. And so they murmured and they complained and they said we were better off as slaves. See, that is what the devil is desiring to convince all of us, especially those of us who are Christians. This is why it is a dangerous theology to say that you can lose your salvation, because if I believed that I could lose it, I would. More importantly, that tells me that anytime I had a wrong desire, I would convince myself that I have forfeited the spirit. But you're either a a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And the God who announced the will to the the son who performed the work that that you were required to be saved... Who purchased you, who bought you, would not allow you to again be sold into slavery. That's not how he works. And so, the big thing that I want us to see today is that knowing how lost we either are or were is the only way that we will truly believe in the redemption. That we have through Jesus Christ. Not only will we believe it. But we will see just how much we needed it. And so there are two points in this sermon. That I want you to gather today. And the first point of today's sermon is. A bloody buy. A bloody buy. Yeah. It's gory. It's intentionally gory. Because I want you to be able to grasp. What actually happened. Not only were we redeemed, scripture tells us, but it tells us we were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the only effective way for sins to be taken away is that something must die. Blood must be shed. That is so because the only acceptable wage for sin, we talk about it all the time, is death. The only payment for sin is death. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he efficaciously purchased us and it was a three-way deal. That was a three-way deal. Because Jesus Christ paid the debt that was owed on our account. 
He paid it to the Father to free us from the bondage that sin had us in. It's a three-way deal. Jesus Christ gave his life. When he gave his life, that was the payment to God who held the ransom fee in his hand. When God cleared the debt, it didn't free us just from God's wrath, but it also freed us from the bondage and the hole that sin had on us. That is what we mean when we say Jesus redeemed us. He pulled us out of slavery and in him we have now been given liberty. So what did he do? He gave his life. He gave his life. He saw us as sinners in bondage and he could not stand for us to remain that way. And so Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He shed his very blood for us. He saw us in our iniquity, parading around in chains of bondage, chains of habit, thinking that we were free. And he came and he freed us by shedding his blood for us. That's what Jesus did. That means... When Jesus looked at us and he saw us in the marketplace being sold, he was that friend that paid the price that was on our lives. And then he freed us from sin. Jesus was that friend, people. That's why John 15, 13 tells us there is no greater love a man has than this, than he will lay down his life for his his friends. That is what Jesus has done for us. He lays his life down. He redeemed us. And just in case you can't qualify freedom. Just know Jesus tells us what it is quite emphatically. In John chapter 8 verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that beautiful? What, what's funny about the response of these Jews that Jesus is speaking to is that when he tells them that he will redeem them and set them free, they say, don't you know who we are? We ain't never been a slave to anything. We've never been a slave to anybody. We are Abraham's seed. Jesus then makes it clear that if you make a practice of sinning, If you make a practice of sinning, then you are enslaved to it. 
But then he gives them the beautiful corollary. Not only do you make a practice of it, and not only are you enslaved to it, but I am the one who came to free you from your slavery. That is what he is making it clear to them to say. See, if we have been redeemed, then we should realize what true freedom is. What makes it great is, yes, we have redemption. But even more than that, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption means nothing if along with it our sins are not forgiven. That is what we desperately needed. So in one fell swoop, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, he also took away our sins. He redeemed us. He paid the price, but then he charged the debt to his account. See, that's what those slaves in Roman society couldn't ask the person that purchased them to do. See, what Jesus did for us is far greater a step than what they would have done. Because not only did he pay the price, but he took our place as well. And he considered himself to be as a slave to the will of the Father so that we might go free. That is why when he is on the cross and he looks up and he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not because he had been forsaken. That is because he had felt the weight of having all the sin of the world poured onto you. What does that mean? It means that he broke fellowship with God in that moment. So that we could be redeemed into fellowship with him. What kind of man is this? See, they marvel at the fact that he could control the seas and the oceans obeyed him. But what kind of man would look at the death with which he had to pay and still fully accept it? And as the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet crucifying him, while we were yet spitting on him, while we were yet sinning against him, Christ died for us. That means that he didn't wait for us to get it together because he knew apart from him we could never get it together. While we were nailing him to a cross, he took his position as our permanent intercessor. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even understand the weight of what they're doing. How can you not absolutely marvel at who this man is? So yes, we have redemption. But more importantly, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And that is what the redemption of Christ looks like for us. Yes, what a wonderful cry it is to scream with raised hands. We have been bought with a price, and we have. But what an even greater joy it should bring us to know that all of our sins have been forgiven because of this transaction. What a wonderful joy that is. 
That's why we must proclaim to people who want to know what's the catch. There isn't a catch. There literally is no catch. In fact, if there is a catch, Jesus took the price of it. Because the wisdom of God, which is to put his son on the cross, is foolishness to us. That's the catch. He knew that many of us would still reject him even though he hung on that cross, even though he died for us, even though he paid the penalty for our sins. And he did it anyway. That's why when the disciples are asking him, who's going to sit where? Who's going to go where? Who's going to be where in the kingdom? And he says to them, that doesn't even matter. But let me ask you this. Can you drink of the cup that I have to drink of? He was fully aware of what he had to do. And he did it anyway. We are no longer, because of Jesus, debtors to the flesh. And we should respond by indulging ourselves in him. We should respond by totally sacrificing our lives over to him. Paul even tells us that he does this according to the riches of his grace. Look at that. That is a beautiful way to put that. Jesus Christ does it according to the riches of his grace. This is what scripture means when it tells us the blessings of the Lord, Lord, make rich and don't add any sorrow. This isn't talking about money. It is talking about the blessing of having our sins forgiven. It has made us rich and he has loaded his grace on us. When we accept the gift of our salvation, it utterly enriches us. Not only that, but Paul says he has lavished it on us. That means that we as Christians have limitless grace. Limitless grace. Nothing will pull us out of his grace. Nothing will separate us from his grace. He adorns us with it. He pours it out on us. We are all in this room products of his grace. Every single one of us. And that is why James tells us that even in the grace that he has already given us through the son, he gives us more grace. That brings us to point number two. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. After Paul goes on in that long sentence where he describes the riches we receive from God through Christ, he says we have obtained an inheritance in a world where many of us would have loved to have been born into a rich family. And amen, I was one of those. I would have loved for that to have been the case where I could have just been born rich, born into an inheritance. For me, that wasn't the case. 
But what he wants us to see is that God has provided for us and to us the greatest inheritance possible. An inheritance by which we cannot even quantify with money. See, remember last week when we saw that we were adopted. Now we see the result of that adoption. We have been given an inheritance. What is amazing is that, just in case you don't realize this, the inheritance we receive because we've been adopted replaces the inheritance that was due to us. Because when we were born, apart from him, there was an inheritance waiting on us. You don't believe me? Let's read it in scripture. Romans 5 and 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Watch this. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. Talking about Adam. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gifts following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Through the sin of Adam, we all inherited the penalty for sin, which was death. It brought us condemnation. But now we have been taken out of that family and we have been adopted into the family of God. And the result of that adoption is an inheritance. And that inheritance is eternal life. And the way Jesus describes this is he says, Why would you waste time storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth where the moth eats it and it is corrupted? But set your eyes, set your affections, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, the reason we don't find contentment in this life is because we don't recognize the magnitude of the inheritance which is due to us. And what's great about it is we don't have to wait for somebody to die in order to receive it because the one who needed to die has already died and given us that inheritance. And not only that, but Jesus says, I go, but I go to prepare a place for you. An inheritance is waiting on us. 
I don't care how good it gets down here. There is an inheritance waiting on us. There is a promise of eternal life that is waiting on us. That is the case. Eternal life has been provided to us as the inheritance we were given. So let me ask you this. How do you get an inheritance? Do you work for an inheritance? Do you labor for it? No. You are born. That is it. The way that we receive an inheritance is that we are born into the right family. For us, we have to be born again. See, this was the confusion that Nicodemus saw when Jesus is trying to tell him about the new birth. He says, wait a minute. You mean to tell me when a man who is old, he's going to have to go back into the womb and be born again? And Jesus says, listen, being born by the water and being born by the spirit are the only way you will receive this inheritance and then he says you must be born again let me say it the way my whole church is say it moral not you must be you got to be you must be born again that is the only way that is the only way that we will receive this inheritance born into a new family a new inheritance has been provided for us. That's not it, though. Paul continues. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We are reminded that we have been predestined by God who works all things together. But look how he does it. Bible says according to the counsel of his will. If that doesn't scream to you the sovereignty of God, I don't know what else will. God has told us that the only counsel that he needs, the only counsel that is required of him is the counsel that he has already willed to perform. God doesn't need anybody else to be God because he is counseled by his own will. Which means there is nothing we can do to escape it. What God wants to happen will happen. And I love it. Because in the times when I can't figure things out, when I can't work things out, when I can't rationalize it out, he makes things happen according to the counsel of his will, which means if it doesn't feel all right, it will be all right. God, how can you not appreciate a God like that? How could we possibly continue in sin and bondage knowing that what great riches await us all as Christians? He tells us that our redemption is to the supreme glory of God. Somehow, some kind of way, God is getting glory out of converting a miserable sinner like me. 
whose life now testifies of his greatness, who testifies of his glory and his goodness. Finally, Paul tells us, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Paul says that when, he, when we received the gospel which brought about our salvation, we were sealed in him. Not only was the spirit promised, but we are sealed in him through the spirit. That's why the Bible tells us, he who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are complete and sealed in him. And the evidence of that is the guarantee of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. When Paul is speaking of a seal, he is speaking of something that would happen in their culture. When they would write a letter, everybody had a stamp. And on that stamp, they had a particular seal. That seal was there to authenticate that that letter was from who it was indeed claimed to be from. That seal, get this, that seal could not be altered. It could not be doctored. It could not be forfeited. It could not be lost. He then uses an interesting word. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Greek here is probably not best translated in ESV. I think the best word for that is pledge. He is the pledge of our inheritance. So the pledge of our eternal salvation and security is the Holy Spirit by which we are sanctified. The Holy Spirit is what we look to when our faith is faint because God, because it is God's confirmation of the coming inheritance, which will be eternal life, which I'm telling you, every one of us who are Christians in this room, we will acquire very soon, very soon, so let me close with this. If you have been redeemed, if you have not been redeemed, you are not a cheap commodity, okay? Yours is not a wasted life, not a wasted soul. Because Jesus Christ has paid an extreme price for you. You have been bought with a price. We have been bought with a price. He has redeemed us from the curse, from the inheritance that was rightfully due to us. And he has paid the ransom to the Father.
to free us from bondage and sin. And so as Paul says in the book of Galatians, why would you again entangle yourself with the yoke of bondage? Those who Christ has set free are free indeed. And we have been redeemed by his blood and we have been given an inheritance that is waiting for us. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see it. Let's pray.